Ozempic, what a hot topic, hot, hot topic. So much buzz wherever you turn, social media, news, TV shows, the Real Housewives, work, (laughs) literally everywhere. We knew we had to discuss this at some point, but it was really hard to figure out how and when. Yeah, it seems like every day there's a new success story or horror story to read about. So in a way, I'm glad we waited a bit to sort through our own thoughts. And quite frankly, we're still formulating our thoughts. Don't you think? I do think so. And hopefully this is the beginning of a series of episodes we will do discussing this hot button topic of this class of weight loss drugs that's taken everything by storm, GLP-1 agonists, which stands for glucagon-like peptide. And they are popularly referred to as ozempic drugs. There are so many different angles to discuss about this medication, and honestly, it just feels too overwhelming to cover everything in one episode. But let's just suppose you're considering trying this medicine, because it seems like everyone and their moms is on it right now. What, Dion, would you want to know about it? I think I would want to know the risks and side effects of the medication. We know that these drugs act on the brain, although it's not entirely clear how exactly. So I would like to know if something that works on my brain can affect my mental health, good or bad. Right. Fair. I mean, there has been some press, both on the good and bad on the psychosocial impact that Ozempic has had and could have on people who are taking them. And since Dion and I are not endocrinologists or psychiatrists, we have invited Dr. Somto Obi to join us to lend us his expertise on this topic. Dr. Somto Obi is a psychiatrist with a special interest in general and sports psychiatry. He's in a private practice in Houston, Texas, Side note, he's also the founder of the medical nonprofit organization, Melanin Doc, whose goal is to increase minorities in medicine. Check out their blog and website whenever you have a chance. Oh, and he happens to be my husband's nephew. We love keeping it in the family here at the Ivy Drip, don't we, Maliha? Yes, we do. (laughs) But honestly, he's an amazing psychiatrist. That's really why we invited him on our show, and we are so excited to learn from him today. So thank you so much for coming on, Somto. Thanks for having me. Really look forward to discussing this topic with you guys. Like you said, there is a lot of ground to cover. This is the IV Drip, a podcast designed to give you the dish on health topics you need to know but didn't know to ask. We are your hosts, Dr. Maliha Mohideen and Dr. Diani Becky. We're both Harvard-trained anesthesiologists and besties. Join us as we explore hot topics that are rarely discussed, but can have a huge impact on your life. So let me start off by saying that this drug has been helping so many people struggling with weight loss, lose weight, and then keep it off, particularly obese people, diabetic or non-diabetic, who need to lose the weight for health reasons. So far, the results have been really impressive. Uh, Wagovi just last week was shown to reduce the risk of heart attack, stroke, and other heart-related death by 20% in patients who have obesity. So that's pretty dramatic. But, you know, there are these side effects to this quote-unquote miracle drug. And we hear a lot about the medical side effects, such as 
the headaches, nausea, gastric delay, and the fatigue, but less so on the psychosocial aspects, such as how it affects mental health. True. All medications have a range of side effects. Um, This could be dose-dependent. It could be patient-dependent. But it is important before starting any medication to be just at least be aware of like, you know, the positive, the negative side effects, including to see how these could affect your mental health. Okay, first, to understand the side effects, let's talk about the drug itself and how it works. Malia, break it down. (laughs) Okay, so we all... (laughs) (laughs) Is it my thing? Our thing, but you know, I think you like to explain it, so go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, it works on the pancreas, the gut, and in the brain. Okay. These drugs powerfully mimic a hormone that we naturally produce called GLP-1. I referred to earlier glucagon-like peptide agonist. And the body naturally releases this after we eat. The hormone goes and activates neurons in the brain. It sends these signals that decreases food intake and increases energy expenditure, which is good for our metabolism. These neurons are located in the hypothalamus, which controls hunger and satiety, or the sensation of feeling full. So basically, the hormone tells our brain that we're full, stop eating. They also work in the gut to slow gastric emptying, making you feel full longer, and the pancreas to increase insulin, which helps control blood sugar, which is also why it's so helpful in diabetics particularly. But like I mentioned before, it's not entirely clear how the drug works on parts of the brain. But we know it does affect other parts of the brain that control eating for pleasure and executive function. And all of these regions ultimately affect food intake. And in this case, reduces food intake for most people. Now, Sumto, if these drugs impact the reward center of the brain or the central nervous system, that can help with impulse control. Can you describe what that means to someone's weight loss journey who's on Ozempic? Yes, so let me start by explaining how the reward center works. When, say, someone's exposed to something pleasurable, say like, you know, your favorite meal at, you know, um, your favorite restaurant, uh, this stimulates an area of the brain called the ventral tegmental area. From there, it releases, you know, the substance that we often are hearing about now, dopamine. Dopamine then travels down key regions of your brain that induce these feel-good, you know, pleasure and um, stimulating effects. Uh, therefore, the brain associates these activity of eating a tasty meal to feeling pleasurable, which reinforces these behaviors. And then the repetition of this pathway creates something known as the reinforcement of learning. Oh, that dopamine, the pleasure neurotransmitter. At least that's how I always remembered it in med school. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so then, based on this explanation, though, somehow drugs in the GLP-1 agonist family, like Ozempic, shut down this positive feedback loop, essentially, right? Yeah. So looking at the current literature, there is some data that supports GLP-1 agonist effect on can affect the reward center, which may explain why patients have been able to successfully lose weight on this medication. However, there's more research that needs to be done on that particular association. What we do know is that Zempic and similar drugs have multiple mechanisms on the gut, the pancreas, and then lowers the liver's glucose production. 
all this complex stuff, right? <laughs> but all this stuff together means that there could possibly be a psychological aspect related to this medication that works on food intake. Yeah, it's interesting. And it touches on that whole gut brain connection that you hear about. Um, but there does need to be some more research into understanding the exact mechanism of action, particularly on the brain. However, we know it works, and that's exciting. And it's a positive thing for obese patients struggling with weight loss. Yes, very true, very true. And this can be a positive thing for many patients because it can help, you know, quiet those intrusive or obsessive thoughts about food. Um, these medications can allow them to focus on other things. And I think, yeah, that's a very, a very important thing. Yeah. I mean, hashtag food noise. <laughs> it's a term that's become super popular. Like I've seen it on TikTok and I'm not even a social media person. Say, you're so, barely on TikTok. So if you've seen it, it's I really know, popular. I know. It's like through another person. <laughs> yeah. But apparently so many patients have had the experience of that intrusive noise completely being shut down once they're on Ozempic. Yeah. And I've also read about patients who stopped having interest in alcohol completely, which is also great for your health. Um, so it's interesting that it can be helpful for people with other addictive behaviors, although it's really not fully understood why and how that works. Yeah, that's right. Food noise. This caveat is that food noise returns once off the medication. That is something that patients are seeing. Yikes. That's a good point. This medication is intended for long-term use. And that's something you should think about as well. Now, what about the negative aspects of the impact on the reward center? Or is there even a negative impact? Do we know? So if you're someone who normally derives a lot of pleasure from food and who enjoys eating out with friends, this potentially could be a side effect that could prove problematic over time because now you have a life-altering event as if you can change this. You can normally relate with people in your life, for example. Also, it's a natural pathway that we're interfering with. So we're not fully sure how this will affect eating patterns in the future, as there's a possibility it can change them over long periods of time. Hmm, yeah. Y'all know me, I'm a foodie, so it doesn't look like I'm a candidate for this medication. It's contraindicated in me, okay? <laughs> but that has to be a tough adjustment, right? If food is a part of your social life. Yeah. That's what I would think. Yeah, yeah, just be, yeah. <laughs> I would, and, that, and that's, you know, why we would say, you know, talk to your, your provider. Just be aware of these side effects. They can greatly vary from person to person. All drugs have a you know a range of where it's effective and where you're going to start experiencing side effects. So I would advise effects. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And some some people might be more severe. So okay. Now, Sumta, we know that a lot of the weight comes back once the medication is stopped. Even if you make lifestyle changes with diet and exercise. This feeling of being on a medication for life, you know, because that's these medications, that's what they're designed for, can make people anxious. Like you become dependent on it and you need it long term and you don't want to stop it because, you know, if you stop it, the weight can come right back. And so from a mental health perspective, what would you advise to patients who are anxious about being on this medication long term? or having anxiety about maybe stopping it for whatever reason. 
Yeah, so this is where I think counseling a patient before starting the medication is really important. Setting real, realistic goals, a realistic timeline for weight loss, talking about how the changes in their body may, can affect how they feel about themselves, about how others will start perceiving them, the good and the bad. And if you need to stop taking it for health reasons, for example, it's helpful to have like a support group, someone to talk to you about this. Yeah. Once you have this new lifestyle, a healthier lifestyle that is not routine, there could be less need for the medication for weight loss or perhaps for reduced doses. If you have diabetes and your provider discusses that is necessary for your condition, then absolutely continue just taking this medication is, you know, paramount to your, your health. Absolutely. So generally for anxiety, with respect to transitions off medication, for example, or transitions in life, you want to make sure you have a strong support. You want to have accountability partners, friends, even looking at support groups, you know, which might, you know, start coming, becoming more prevalent as, you know, people are taking up Zepic and kind of seeing the transition. This will help, you know, stick to your lifestyle changes mm -hmm. and also possibly working with a therapist can be helpful just if things anxiety becomes overwhelming. Wow. That's really sound advice, Sumto. All right. Switching gears. Now, you know me. I'm a Real Housewives fan and there is no shame. Okay. But seriously, many people are fans of these shows. But seriously, um, this year, a host of them, as well as other celebs, are using this, these medications, I would say irresponsibly because they aren't obese and projecting body image standards out there that could cause some real harm. We saw this in the 90s with the whole heroin chic models, and that led to eating disorders. I think I'm worried that young people or people who don't need to be on these medications may start using them as a way to stay thin, like these housewives and other celebs. Yes, yes. Ease of access for the medication coupled with these images portrayed by media can be a slippery slope, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. For example, this medication can be helpful for, you know, weight loss, but the purpose is really for helping patients with diabetes and those um, above a BMI of 30. And we also have to look, start looking at the FDA approval as approved for, for diabetes. Um, however, your question highlights the fact that these medications has become more of a cosmetic drug versus a drug that's strictly medical necessity. Um, also in psychiatry, we, we do deal with similar medications, you know, at some instances, some of our control stimulants and um, some of our, you know, antidepressants can, you know, be when is the border between this is nice versus this is necessary mm -hmm. is always you know, a question. Hmm. And, you know, as it's become more popularized, the image is portrayed, we should be concerned about what the standards of this medication is and what is projected on the general public, especially when we have young children looking up to these these housewives, for example. You know, patients that might have body dysmorphia or eating disorders could be at risk when this yeah. comes into, you know, general public. Definitely. And, you know, I call this actually vanity weight. You know, people who are trying to lose some of that excess weight quick. You, you know, know what? That's, I'm going to yeah. give you props on that. You like that? Like we, we need to coin that. We should put it on vanity our weight. social media page. Yeah. I know. That's what it that. is. It's it's vanity weight, right? Because it's not it. medically necessary. Exactly. It's, it's just, I love you know, it. Yeah. It's perfect. But you brought up something way more serious, Sumto. As a psychiatrist, can you give us the medical definition of body dysmorphia and eating disorders? Yeah. 
Uh, it's important because, you know, these words get used really loosely, but they actually have very specific definitions. Yes. Um, so I'll just go with body dysmorphic disorder first. Um, under the DSM-5 criteria, which is um, the psychiatry, you know, holy grail for our diagnoses, um, it's considered one of the obsessive compulsive related disorders, which in these disorders involves intense distress over perceived physical flaws leading to persistent intrusive thoughts. Mm. So with obsessive disorders, they just, these are people that are getting um, thoughts that are just intrusive, like over and over. And for this particular case, a lot of them are situated about their body. Many people have occasionally have appearance related doubts that might, you know, to other people seem normal. However, people with BDD or body dysmorphic disorder, are consumed by these perceived imperfections and it impacts their social and professional life. That's when they come and see me as a psychiatrist. Unlike eating disorders, which concern is not just about a specific thing. So think about, oh, my right thumb is really huge. I am like super unconscious about it. Eating disorders are more concerned about the overall body size. So I'm fat, mm. you know, I'm really, I'm too skinny, my body, right? Body dysmorphic disorder fixates on specific body parts. So you can see this in male and men and female. Some guys maybe fixated on their muscle or how their muscle looks is another example. If it's severe enough, these perceived flaws um, cannot be addressed with like, even if I'm talking to you or reassuring that, no, it's fine. Or even to the extent of people getting corrective measures and they're keep getting corrective measure, corrective measures, and there's never an end to it. So. Right. And, you know, we definitely see that a lot in medicine, I would say, especially um, in plastic surgery. We have patients, you know, who request specific cosmetic procedures repeatedly and remain unhappy with the results, no matter how good the results are objectively, which is problematic. Um, what about? I mean, that speaks to, sorry, Malia, but it kind of speaks to this whole celebrity culture and what images that are being portrayed, you know, in the media, just bringing that up because we see these plastic surgeries and you just wonder why. <laughs> Because a lot of these people yeah. don't need it. But anyway, separate episode. Sorry, I digress, I digress. But yes, I is. know. So let's talk about the eating disorders. Uh, can you break that down for us, Santi? So yeah, so you know the eating disorders are clumped into um, disorders that are related to how people view their body weight and also how they also either restrict or you know consume food. I'll focus on the three main ones that people are pretty familiar with, anorexia, bulimia, and then binge eating disorder. There's a few more, but just for brevity, we'll just talk about these ones. Um, so anorexia, this is when uh, someone, a person has a distorted self-image of their body. They have intense fear about weight gain, even to the point that they stay underweight. And this denial of the danger of being underweight can lead to severe food restriction. And, you know, we assess this severity about based on how low their BMI is. And um, if you're working like a pediatric hospital, you see this often where kids are, you know, um, getting so thin that they are requiring medical intervention and having to be force fed at times at the worst. Jeez. Bulimia, yeah, is slightly different. When these person has a regular episode of overeating 
followed by feelings of loss of control. And then during these periods, they frequent frequently practice like inappropriate behaviors with weight gain. So they might be vomiting excessively or excessively eating. Um, so they have this pattern of just uh, maybe just using diuretics, any way to change or to, you know, affect their body weight because they don't, deep down, they don't like their body weight. A big differential between anorexia is they don't necessarily have to be underweight. And usually with anorexia, there's more so of the component of having a very, very unhealthy BMI. At least for binge eating disorder, this is a disorder when people have regular episodes of consuming large amounts of food in a short time, uh, short time period. They eat rapidly. When, when, when they're not hungry, they usually do alone due to embarrassment. After binging, they're overwhelmed, sometimes with feelings of guilt. Uh, these binge episodes might happen at least once to once a week to once to three times a month. Um, it sometimes differs from bulimia because there's no mechanism to compensate for the binging, such as like vomiting. Some of those details could be fleshed out, you know, when you see a trained professional for sure. Mm. Sure. And, you know, I can see, I know that was a detailed um, yeah. definition. I think it's important though, because I think it- yeah, Very much so. Yeah, I can see that if you're someone who has really struggled with self-image and especially in our current culture that ties self-worth to body image, Ozempic can sound like a magical solution to your problems. But you know, in reality, these drugs can trigger and worsen some serious issues that just haven't been dealt with properly. Uh, do you think that doctors should screen patients prior to prescribing and also encourage access to therapy while on this medication? I think just in my you know brief personal experience, and I think just from our discussion now, I think in today's day and age, there's a, a lot of focus on mental health. And because of this, I believe more and more clinicians are taking a better psychiatric history in general. Mm -hmm. Um, from the patient's perspective, we still have some stigma tied to these issues. So it may be difficult, for example, to disclose to your pocket surgeon that you have some of these concerns. Yeah. So if someone plans to prescribe Ozempic, they shouldn't rule out looking for certain underlying you know, psychiatric conditions, such as eating disorders, because these are some of our more serious diagnoses. And especially, you know, if it's not addressed, it could lead to even more and more problems. Yeah. Serious harm. Absolutely. Um, what kind of impact can these meds have if people who have a history of eating disorders or disorderly eating and are started on these medications, what kind of impact can it have on them? Yeah. For example, Ozempic, like a contraindication for using Ozempic or similar drugs would most likely be anorexia, right? If you have a history of anorexia, Ozempic is a medication that could extremely, you know, decrease your body weight, a BMI less than 17 or 18, which is underweight. And, um, you know, also is kind of helping what they want, like that decreased want, wanting to eat. So um, can pretty much propagate very easily anorexia, which is a very life-threatening disorder. And that makes sense. I mean, you can have had these issues in the past, have dealt with them, and they could just be triggering, yeah. you know, to a patient. So it's good to at least have these conversations. And I, I think it's important to know that if you take this medication, whether or not you have any history, any mental health issues, your body is going to undergo a massive change rapidly. 
And it's kind of impossible to predict how you're going to feel about that change. I think we like to think we will be able to predict that, but sometimes it's just not possible. And there has been some press saying that these medications have triggered symptoms like even depression and anxiety. And um, do you think it's actually the medications or could it actually be the sudden and massive weight loss that's causing like, you know what I mean? Could it be the meds that are causing the problem or just like all the weight loss and the change that's causing the problem? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Not not sure. Kind of a chicken versus egg situation. Mm-hmm. What I can say is that no matter what, you should still be aware of like the potential side effects of that massive um, weight, you know, weight change. And there is, like, you know, you know, even even patients that have had bariatric surgery experience of losing weight loss having anxiety and depression indicating that mm. it could be a sudden change that is hard to mentally adjust to for multiple reasons. Um, yeah. Um, it's just something to be aware of. Yeah. Also, given that a lot of people are getting this drug off of websites without being screened and monitored properly by a doctor, this is really important to discuss. Yeah. I mean, it, it cannot be taken lightly. And I, I don't mean to be Debbie Downer on this drug, but I think you know that, that's a serious thing to consider if that's at all in your medical history. You know, I think it's important that today we acknowledge that these drugs are a game changer for obesity because it does affect over 42% of American adults. That's almost half of the population. Mm -hmm. But they do have these side effects that need to be monitored continually. And if you are considering trying Ozempic, consider all of them, the physical and the mental, and just discuss them with your doctor. Thank you so much, Somto, for joining us and lending us your expertise. Uh, I think it would be great if we could just do a quick recap of what we learned, Dion. Absolutely. Okay, so number one, Ozempic works on the reward center by decreasing your desire to eat, as well as making you feel full. More research is needed, but this is promising for patients struggling with obesity and could help in other areas concerning addiction in the future. Number two, Ozempic and similar medications may make eating mundane, which could be a negative if food was a big part of your social life and connections given that this medicine is intended for long-term use. Number three, it can be hard to predict exactly how you will feel and look with dramatic weight loss. For some, weight loss doesn't bring the anticipated happiness that they thought they would have. And it's important to have access to therapy and a support group if you need it. Number four, ease of access and unrealistic body image projections are bad for the general public, especially those with body dysmorphia and eating disorders. These drugs are not designed for people who have struggled with these disorders and could be triggering. And number five, clinicians should screen their patients for suicidal ideation before prescribing Ozempic or any of these drugs and monitor them while they are on the medication. Okay, guys, that ends today's segment. For more IV Drip, head to our website at theivdrip.co or follow us on Instagram at theivdrip underscore podcast. Email us with your Ozempic stories, questions, and comments at info at the and send us a DM. We love hearing from you all. So if you have a good tip, share it. We would love to put it on a future episode. Most importantly, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You can find it on all streaming platforms. 
leave a review and spread the love. All right, wonderful. Now for our tip of the day, we're going to pass the mic to you, Samtu, in tradition, and you can take it away. Yes, thanks for having me once again. But I think one tip just to stay on, you know, kind of track of what we're talking about on, on a Zumbic is that, you know, if you're having intrusive thoughts about eating, your body size, body features, and you're realizing well, maybe this is affecting my day, this could, you know, be worth some talking to somebody. Sometimes we have these thoughts and we think, oh, everybody else has these thoughts. Yeah, it, some people do have these thoughts, but it could definitely, you know, affect your life in a way that is not necessary. And we, there are treatments for this. So. That's really good. That's really, really good to know. And, you know, a lot of people may feel like they have to deal with it alone. So it's good to know that there are resources out there um, to kind of help them walk through those thoughts. Um, so thank you for that. <laughs>